0: Okay, if this mic gets too excited I will adjust it. Uh, so, tonight uh, we're going to talk about a very old Zen story called Shan's Gift. Uh, Guishan, for those who might not know, epic teacher in the tradition, his own teacher being uh, Baijong Who is largely responsible for the way we live in monasteries now? Thank you very much, Baijiong. Just like Guishan is just this mammoth figure in the history of Zen, and his student Yangshan, Guishan, Yangshan. um, Their names go together, Gui Yang, to create the first of the five houses of Zen. That's as technical as this talk is going to get. Guishan and Yangshan are having a discussion, like teachers and students do. Guishan being the teacher, Yangshan being the student. So, Yangshan, uh, I would characterize as pretty tenacious and with a sort of penetrating, insightful practice. And how does this go? What did they have to say about the practice of giving, which is our theme for the night? So this uh, the story comes from a collection of stories that, again, the founder of the school of Zen in Japan, pulled together. It seemed to be something of a thing, like a master will pull together. Keeps going in and out. It's a little quiet. Okay. I'm not able to adjust the volume from here other than projecting. So I can do that. Um, yeah, so Dogen pulls together this collection of 300 koans, and this comes from that. Yeah, Luna, the whole thing is on, it's just that the monitor is turned off. Thanks. Saved by Luna, who happens to do this for Zen Center. So, uh, Guishan Yang's has conversation, and Guishan says, I have a student, I have a lay student who gave me three bolts, three rolls of silk. I've got a student who gave me three rolls of silk so that I could buy a temple bell to bestow happiness upon the people of the world. I have a student who gave me three rolls of silk so that I could buy a temple bell to bestow happiness upon the people of the world. not wanting to stop there, says, uh, when the student brought you the silk, what did you give him in return? what did you give him back? What kind of exchange was there? Kind of putting his teacher on the spot a little bit, right? I appreciate that. So we'll sort of loop back to this story. There's more to it, but that's the beginning. I want to start by highlighting one thing and that is, how simple is the practice of giving? We've been doing it since we were little. The practice of giving. So simple. Like to give is probably one of the first verbs that any of us ever learned. And I don't want, uh, I don't want this conversation to complicate that practice, actually, um, by putting some ideas around it. It stays pretty simple. Like, there's a giver, there's a receiver, and we did some giving. But what I do like to convey is some of, the, some of the joy of the practice of giving. So the Buddha is quoted as saying that if people knew, as I know, the benefits of giving and sharing, they wouldn't eat without having shared their food. Like, so beneficial is the practice of giving and sharing. And I'll say, and it says, or less, I'll paraphrase the text, that the practice of giving, to give, simply to give, it's like it leads us onward to bright futures, pleasant destinations. And it actively directs us to the mind of freedom. It's like giving and freedom are so close, so close to one another. So such a simple practice of other parts of the Dharma, it's that a child of five can say it, but can we practice it? Easy to say, but can we practice it? And can we practice it well? That's a question. So let's go back in time. Almost 20 years, I'm, I'm living in a place where it's very hot, and muggy, and it's Christmas. and. Um, I'm living in a small city in Texas, where um, it's known for its outlet malls. It's an interesting thing to be known for, right? But people would travel all over the country to come to these outlet malls, you believe it? So while I was there, I was doing my Christmas thing, I was with a good friend of mine, a friend who was a good enough friend to be willing to uh, admonish me, at least a little, at least a little. So I'm there with my friend, and I'm pretty much going down my checklist of all the people I need to buy gifts for, and I'm like, oh, Will, I need to buy this for this person, I need to buy this for this person, this, this person, this person, this person. And he gave me the equivalent of, like, the little eyebrow, just enough of an admonishment to let me know that what he heard was that I'm doing all this out of obligation. There was, like, not a generous ounce in my body. I should do this and that's why, I'm, that's why I'm giving. I had a lot to learn about the benefits of giving and sharing. Cut to maybe 10 years later. By this time, I've done some, I've done some pretty intensive sitting practice. But there's still a lot I didn't get about giving. And I'm going to tell you about the moment when I really saw something, my understanding about the practice of giving really shifted. So I, I was staying in a, um, a Burmese monastery in the United States, but ethnically Burmese, Burmese Buddhism, um, staying there for about a week. And I arrived, I totally got sitting. I was like, oh yeah, sitting, freedom. That's where it's at, it's on the cushion, and how my mind is when I'm on the cushion. And I was like, oh, that's it. That's the the whole thing. I got sitting, and I also got monks get to sit. That's cool. So I'm in this Burmese monastery, and I'm with the monks. Not only did I not quite get the giving piece yet, but I also didn't get the lay community monastic mutual benefit, symbiosis thing that's uh, almost more pronounced in that tradition than, than I see even here. The moment that this changed, it's a it's early morning. The monks have lined up and they're they're going to do an alms round in the in the monastery. This is a beautiful thing. Like the the monks the monks are in their they're set up in their robes. Has anyone ever seen this? Anyone ever seen an uh, alms round before? The scene is pretty much like these monks are in these beautiful orange robes. Uh, and they're holding these big, they look like copper, like hand-hammered bowls or something. And they're all lined up in a row. And what I see, I see this young Burmese man. And he has this little pinch of just white rice. Just white rice that he's dropping in the monk's bowl. And what strikes me about this moment, he is lit. He is like... He is glowing, just his whole like body, his face, he's like, oh, I'm so happy to just be giving this little lump of rice. He was lit up and I was like, wow, something is going on here that I do not understand. But what touched me was seeing the bond. It wasn't even personal. It wasn't like, oh, I really know this monk, I'm gonna give him a nice like lump of rice. But there was this beautiful circumstance set up for giving and receiving that happened because these monks were going on alms round. He was lit up, but he wasn't alone. He's with his family, and his whole family is lit up with this little, like, rice, rice drop. And it's not just this family, but it's, like, this family and this family and this family. It's this whole line. And they've all come to the monastery to do alms round and uh, for that week... Um, so little kids did temporary ordination. So some of them were coming with their kids to do temporary ordination. It was really sweet. But that was the mo- that was the moment that something about giving really woke up for me. That brought to mind. There's this saying that Sharon Salzberg has that generosity. Generosity is a celebration. That's really what it felt like. It totally felt like. This is the best thing I could possibly be doing, is offering this pinch of rice. The other phrase to characterize the weak, probably the phrase I heard the most from the Burmese Buddhist community, the lay community that I was hanging out with, they said, an opportunity for dana. And they would just like light up talking about it. Every opportunity for dana. It was like they're actively looking. And Dogen echoes this in his own writing. But an opportunity for dana. And the practice of giving is like so baked in to the, to the culture that I would hear stories about Sayaji Ubakin, who's like this, another sort of like epic historic, historical figure. As he aged, as people would come to visit him, like this is a, this is a good rice moment. As, um, as people would come visit Ubakin, he would like pull stuff off the walls to give them. That Donna was so in, so ingrained in him. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Soon enough, I'm going to give up on the microphone and just like go for it. I think it's okay. I'll just keep like I'm going to hold it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's not adjustable. yeah, it's not. See how long this lasts. Okay. Thank you for your generosity. (laughs) So so the big question for me is like, why so joyful? Why so joyful? I I got it in like, I got it in seeing the relationship, but it also made me curious about the dharmic background of like why this would be such a joyful occasion to give. And I think telling you at least a little bit of that dharmic background, I don't have time to go on it too deeply, but I think that can set the background for understanding a little bit about this koan between Guishan and Yangshan. Because you've got to know, the Zen masters, they may say tradition outside words and letters, oh, they know the teaching and they know it well, but they're artful with it. That's what, that's what makes it so interesting. So some of this background, I think, may serve. Um, I'm going to talk about some of the dharmic background, kind of in, in terms of three categories. Easy to remember in terms of the giver, in terms of the receiver, and in terms of the gift. Giver, receiver, and gift. Yeah. Pretty clear in the Dharma how, how important um, how important giving can be to establish relationships. It's even said to cement friendships. And I, I never tire of telling how my, my first week at city center, having come, out, come from the mountains, started working across the way with Michael, who sometimes facilitates here. could have just been a, like a standard working relationship. And the first week, he like comes into the office and he's like, hey, Kodo, do you need any pants? And he has like a stack, a stack of pants. It doesn't matter that it was pants. It's a little funny that it was. But, <laughs> but what I noticed is that changed the relationship. And from, from then on, there was like, there was a warmth. There was a connection that was beyond like, hey, Kodo, can you give me that report by Tuesday? it opened, opened up another channel. So let's talk about the giver. In addition to looking for every opportunity to give, an opportunity for Dana, I love that, it's the how of the giving that's so important. It's really emphasized so much in terms of the giver, the person who does the giving. Um, the manner in which one gives by far outweighs what's given. There are these stories of like giving a little bit of rice crust with the right attitude to the right person, just being so fruitful. Or in the koan literature, like a blade of grass. You know, can be totally humble. There's a place where the, the Buddha talks about... Um, How it can be fruitful to give even the wash water you use to wash your bowl. If you give it to the plants with the thought, may this little bit of food nourish the beings who receive it. And even that is fruitful. So, so much about the giver is the how, not not so much what. And some of the ways they talk about this, giving in a way that's conducive to friendship. Friendship. Giving in a way that's conducive to warmth and connection with an attitude, as you might imagine, that's like respectful and um, in the Dharma context with an attitude of faith. Intention is also really important. We've talked about this uh, related to the generation of karma. Sowing seeds for ourselves for the future. The intention does so much. Like, what's my intention with giving? There are these great lists of all the different reasons one can give. I think I'll skip them. They're a little funny, though. But you can refer back to my story about giving out of obligation. You can imagine that's maybe less than ideal. And one of my favorites is um, giving with the intention to adorn and beautify the mind. Isn't that great? It's like beautifying the mind by the quality of generosity. And also adorning the mind with the quality of not clinging. Like it's in the gesture. Like giving, giving up, giving over, handing over. That is letting go. It's so close to freedom. And then of course, in terms of the giver, giving in a way that we don't harm ourselves, and we don't harm others. We don't give the wrong gift at the wrong time just to give, but there's something about the sensitivity to the other. Knowing the right gift at the right time. And then the last thing about the how, just to highlight. There's this teaching about giving with your own hands. I think there's something here about the connection that's possible. That's that's what I hear in it. I don't know all the meanings that are back there. But I, I, remember, I remember one time, uh, I was in a hospital, where is it? Over there, close to the dog park. Um, after I had been at Tasahara, I was really missing my monk people in the valley. And I was yeah, in the hospital and in comes one of my Zen center friends and he's not alone. He's carrying a homemade card with a young Theravadan monk on it that says, um, uh, warm wishes from the mountains. And it has the signatures and the well wishes of all of my friends that are in the in, in Tassahara Valley practicing. But all these people who cared, like, ah, he's ill. And he brought it with his two hands and he handed it to me. And that meant so much than, like, leaving it in my mailbox or something. But that connection, that hand-to-hand connection. So the how. The how we give. So important. There are also these teachings on uh, the receiver, the person who receives. Given the time, I think the only one that I'm, I, will, uh, I will talk about is... Um, in the teachings, it's really beneficial, fruitful to give to a person who's practicing. I want to take care here. The Buddha doesn't say to only give to people who are practicing. He was actually asked this question point blank. He's like, should I only give to you and your people? And he's like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, more or less, he says, if, if anyone blocks someone else from giving, no, 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 no. And then the person goes on and asks, oh, so giving to who, giving to whom bears great fruit? And he's like, oh, that's a different question. So interestingly, he says, give, give. And it's fruitful to give to someone who's cultivating the path. I think there's a, there's a throwback here to um, Sujata, who happened to come upon the collapsed Buddha at the riverside before he, w- he was the Buddha to be, was like emaciated, totally starved, and she came upon this. He was so, he was so like torn up that she thought she was a, that he was a, a tree spirit, I think, is the way that the, the story goes. So she comes with this offering and her gift nourished him enough that he got up and he took his seat under the Bodhi tree and he awakened. It's like her, her gift to this person who was cultivating the path is the, the reason we have the practice. And the whole reason that the practice continues for 2,500 years. It's pretty amazing. So the giver, the receiver, and then what's given. Very quickly, I'm going to say something that is said classically and then I'm going to quote our friend Miles. So the, the classics about what we give, we give material, food, clothing, medicine, shelter, lamps, it's cool that that's on the list. Um, we try to be scent free here but uh, perfumes is on the original list, that's cool. Um, so material, giving the dharma, giving the dharma, the teaching, the Buddha says, it's given the, the teaching is the highest gift. That's one of the reasons that, one of my motivations for us doing as much as possible just completely freely here. I really like how the practice can develop when there's not like this feeling of exchange, you know. So material, Dharma. Fearlessness. We give each other the gift of fearlessness by being safe people. It's kind of shocking, right? When held in contrast to what might be going on. We give each other the gift of fearlessness by our practice of our conduct. Um, by our practice of the precepts. They're ancient gifts we give one another. I heard Fu once say that this is the thing we get when we take, take the precepts, when we make, make the vow, make the ethical vows in public with a teacher in a sangha. And she says, this, this is the promise that I won't hurt you. That is pretty amazing. I was kind of floored when I heard her say that. So we give material, we give um, dharma, and we give fearlessness. Classics. And then Miles, um, just a bright shining star of a human, Um, puts it slightly differently that we give our time, we give our talent, and we give our treasure. I think this is like from fundraising talk. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. When he says it, it feels so right. Anyway, I like reflecting on that. Okay, so with these things as background, I'm just going to say a few things about the koan. I notice with our microphone situation, we've sort of like gone on a little while. I'm almost thinking about doing a little intermission where you stand up and like stretch your leggies. Let's do that. And then we'll come back down and move back into the koan. How we give, who we give to, and what we give. Giver, receiver, and gift. This is like some of the Dharmic background behind a conversation that Guishan and Yangshan are having. Guishan says to Yangshan, I have a lay student who gave me three rolls of silk to buy a temple bell in order to bestow happiness upon the people of the world. I love imagining the, the student being the giver here and coming with this gift of silk. I am, I'm not aware of the preciousness of silk in this time in China, but I have the sense that it's quite valuable if three rolls of it can purchase a temple bell. I, I'm not sure of the other significance, I'd be interested to know. But I can imagine this person coming to the temple, like making this offering to the abbot, Guishan, just like, and, and, I, and then I think back to the lump of rice, the lump of rice in the Burmese monk's bowl. And I'm like, yes, how joyful was this moment? And then I further appreciate that the gift comes with a request. Please buy a temple bell so that everyone can benefit. Because that silk, it can't go everywhere, but the sound of a temple bell can reverberate through the whole mountain. I want everyone to benefit from this gift, may it be so. Like what an intention, that is fabulous. Yangshan, having all that background and being a tenacious, demanding student. When the lay student brought you the silk for the temple bell, what did you give him in return? A whole bundle of merit, maybe? Maybe the fruit of a gift well-given? Could that be it? To explain this a little bit, I've got to bring Suzuki Roshi into the room. Suzuki Roshi, founder of this temple. He's got this great chapter on giving in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, called God Giving, where he talks about dana, paramita, and he calls it one of the six true ways of living. That's pretty good. The others being the other paramitas. And he explains that the word paramita means crossing over, like crossing over to the other shore and we're crossing over to the other shore of nirvana, he explains, which is like the purpose of our life's effort. And then he does a Zen twist for us, like he does. And he says, the true way of living is to recognize that we're arriving at the other shore with every step. And this is the practice of dana. This is the practice of giving. It's that practice of open-handedness that's both giving and freedom. And we can do it now. What I want to point out that's important for understanding the koan, he then goes on to talk about how if we give with a sense of like the small I is giving, little me, like world according to me, last week Zach, Zach had this great visual of like when I think I'm my little self, it's like this big right in front of my face or something. But what about when we let go in Zazen? How big, how big are we then? Like what's not included? And so Suzuki Roshi talks about the small eye and giving from the big eye. He says with the big eye as background, everything we do is the practice of dana. Everything we make, everything we do is giving. So after Yangshan asks, what did you give him in return? I wish I had a wooden platform. Guishan does this. This was my offering. Great. In Zen lingo, this move, this is a secret. Is that okay? This move is an expression of thusness. Uh, it's the expression of all things across all space and all time participating in this one moment to do this. It's making the big I manifest through an action. And my explaining it is uh, a, an insult to the Buddhas and ancestors. So, my apologies. The big eye, Gui Shan says, this was my gift. I gave them the big eye. Yangshan Shan says, Wiley, Yang Shan. If you offered him that, how will he benefit? Okay. Guaishan is the teacher after all. You know what he does next? And says, why is it that you dislike this? Like why is, why is this not enough? All things, all time. Manifesting in this moment. Is this not enough? Guishan is no fool. Yangshan says, it's not that I dislike it. Okay. It's just that the gift belongs to everyone. Whoa. Okay. Wait. Very good. It's just that the gift belongs to everyone. Student comes and gives a roll of silk. What would you give him? This was my offering. How did that benefit him? It belongs to everyone. Mm. I don't know if you have a felt sense for that. What a gift that is. Guishan then presses the student and he says, since you know that it belongs to everyone, why did you want me to repay him? It's like, oh, did you see him as separate? Did I need to pull something out of emptiness to deliver to this person? Was that not enough? The next line could be a little (laughs) backpedaling. Maybe. Or it could just be good-natured like testing your teacher. Yangshan says, I just wondered how you understood that. Since it belonged to everyone that you could still make it a gift. He actually has a point there, right? complete thusness and Guishan did say this was my offering and in the perspective of the student did my teacher really think that that was a gift did he really think like did I just hear my teacher pull that out of emptiness and like give it Pretty intimate there, right? There's a lot going on. Guishan closes it out, and he says his final instruction to the student for this time. He says, "Don't you see that the great master Bodhidharma, who came to this land from India, also brought a gift." (Parentheses: He brought the practice and the Buddha Dharma. It said he brought the Buddha Mind Seal.) Guishan says, we are always receiving gifts from others. Daito Roshi has a comment about this and he says, heaven is filled by it. Earth is covered by it. The hand that gives is also the hand that receives. So, what I take from all this, the sort of classic Dharma background behind the koan and then the story, the koan itself, is these just classic teachings about giver, receiver, and gift held with an understanding of Profound intimate connection. All things, all time. Giving, receiving, and the gift from the big eye to the big eye. The big eye is giving the big eye to the big eye. And then how do we manifest that in our own lives? That's the practice. How do we do that? And what I think that Zen adds to the conversation is this emphasis on thusness or the emptiness perspective. It said that Dogen came back from China empty-handed. And then he founded Soto Zen in Japan. He came back with a robe and he came back with a succession document, but it said he came back empty-handed. What does that mean? He brought back these practices that meant so much to him, that he he put his life on the line to receive in order to pass on. And there's this one moment that I I think about when we do the robe chant in the morning. The first time Dogen experienced this practice in the monastery of um, putting the robe on the head at the end of morning zazen and chanting in this particular way, the, the love, devotion, and power of the robe. He was so moved that he says uh, tears soaked his robe for encountering a practice like that. Or sometimes in his journals, when he's meeting with his teacher in China, it will say that if his teacher gave, gave him a teaching he would never heard before that really struck home, he would offer incense and do a hundred prostrations. I'm not asking any of you to do that. <laughs> but just something, I, th- I think there, 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 is a, there is an invitation to like, feel into the profundity of that, and like what that exchange actually was. That is really something. So this is really going on, so I'm gonna wrap up. Practice of giving It reveals our own challenges with the practice of giving. It shows us where we're stuck. But hopefully, the more we settle into the mystery and give from the big eye to the big eye, the more we can learn to give openly and be open with our giving. I'll close just by saying, I feel like, uh, much like Dogen and the incense and the tears and the bows and all, I feel like I can never repay all of the Dharma friends and all of the teachers that, uh, that I've known. Which I, I imagine like the, the family giving rice had that same feeling. Like, wow, this is a beautiful moment. Big eye giving rice to big eye. That's really something. Yeah, I feel like I can never repay them. Luckily, what they tell me to do is to keep practicing with sincerity. I feel like I can never pay them back, but they don't want me to. They just want me to keep going. Yeah, so generous. So may this... um, May this... Discussion of dana, giving. Encourage me, encourage us to give our material for the benefit of ourselves and others, to give the dharma for ourselves and others, and to give safety and fearlessness for ourselves and others. May it be so. Thank you.